Today, we're helping you grow in your marriage by talking about all things intimacy. Yep, it's going to be a good one. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Balance. I'm your host, Jenny Stemmerman, and I'm so glad that you're here to hang out with me today because today we're talking about marriage and we have not done a marriage episode, gosh, in a lot of months. So it is about time that we help you grow in this particular area of your life. Now, if you are newer to the show, here we talk about eight different areas of life and we often have different topics on the episode that kind of relate to these eight different areas. And they're all the things that we're trying to balance, right? They're the things like our faith, our marriage, parenting, health, home, career, finances, and friends and fun. And recently, we just finished a series helping you grow in your health. So I hope that you go back and check out some of those episodes. But today we're talking about marriage. And more specifically, we're talking about how to grow in your intimacy in your marriage. Now, when we're talking about intimacy, it's not just sex. We are going to talk a little bit about that, but we're really going to talk about overall intimacy in your marriage. And to help me with this conversation today, I am joined by Kim Bowen of The Marriage Place. She is a therapist, author, speaker, and she offers professional counseling through relationship therapy in her company, The Marriage Place. She's also author of the book, The Love, Joy, Peace Workbook, A Couple's Bible Study. Now, her mission is to help couples build stronger, healthier, and happier relationships. She's also been married to her husband, John, for 30 years. So she's got some, you know, real life experience under her belt on this particular topic. Now, before I get into my interview with Kim, I do want to remind you that over on YouTube, you can find an entire playlist on marriage, really on all of the different areas of life. But specifically, since we're talking about marriage today, if you are wanting to grow more in your marriage, if there's something you're struggling with, if you just need some inspiration and tips on how to better honor your husband, love your husband, rekindle something, fix something in your marriage, I hope you hop over to our YouTube channel and check out that marriage playlist because you can check out all of the past episodes of our podcast plus some other videos that I have done and and released onto the channel and into that playlist about marriage. Things like how to pray for your husband, what to pray for, what those prayers should look like. All of those things you can find there on that playlist. And speaking of YouTube, we had a little bit of a hiatus of recording new videos. Of course, all of the podcasts went there, but we just recently started a new season of weekly videos. So you can find our weekly podcast on our YouTube channel as well as a video each and every single week. So make sure you go over and check that out. We'll have a link in the show description, but you can also just type in Your Life Rocks when you hop into YouTube and you will find us there. All right, so without further ado, let's get into my interview with Kim. Kim Bowen, I am so beyond excited to have you on the show today. It is going to be such a great topic, and we're going to dive into some really good stuff. But before we get into all of that, tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are. Sure. I am a marriage and family therapist, marriage expert. We call ourselves because we train exclusively in working with couples and not just seeing anybody that walks in the door. And I was drawn to this because, you know, I struggled in my own marriage. I was raised in a very conservative religious home. My dad was a church elder and my brother's a preacher. And we had a long family history of church involvement. And I didn't think the right tools to have a successful, thriving marriage. I mean, I was, I was taught three things about marriage that 
you never have sex before it. You never have sex outside of it and leaving it's a sin. And so when it came to how to manage conflict or how to, you know, negotiate or talk about sexual issues or anything like that, I just, there just wasn't any information. And as a result of that, I wanted to leave my marriage. There was a time I I wanted out. And coming from such a religious conservative background, that was taboo. I say that just to show you the amount of misery and pain I was in to have to even get to that point. And so here we are now 30, what, 32 years into our marriage, and it's better than it's ever been. And there is hope for people out there who are struggling. So that's why I want to do this work. I so appreciate that you are doing this work and, and especially hearing your background with it, because I think so many of us can relate to that where when we think about intimacy in particular around marriage, it really is like you just, you don't have sex with people outside of marriage. Like that's all we really are told. There's not a whole lot of like other things. And yet it is such a deep and wide topic that so many people struggle with, but it feels like something that you can't really talk about with anybody else. And I was sharing with you before we started recording, we haven't really talked about sex much on this podcast ever. And, you know, we're going on our seventh year of production and, and, and it's such an important topic. And so I was sharing with you, I feel like we just didn't have the right guest, the right opportunity to really dive into this topic. And then here you are. So I'm so blessed that you're here to be talking with us about this and guiding us through this conversation. But, okay. you know, why do you feel like, especially in the, in the Christian world, it is such a taboo topic to be talking about sex? Well, I, th- I think there's a few reasons why it's taboo. I think that our heritage <laughs> comes from the Puritans, <laughs> you know, that just the, the idea that we know sex happens, we know people have it, and we just kind of brush it all under the rug. And so I know that porn is like, for example, a big issue in our world today. And statistically, people inside of churches struggle as much or more than people outside in the secular world. But there's no avenue or way to talk about it. There's no place to go. And because of that, there's a lot of shame around it. And when people feel shame, they go under and they act out in ways that are in secret and in private. And then the more acting out there is, the more shame there is. And so all that secrecy, all that dysfunction just creates these really toxic cycles. And people try to cope on their own and oftentimes not very well. And most of us were never role modeled. I mean, I've, I meet with so many clients who their parents were very uptight about talking about sex in the home. Personally, my mom will kill me if she hears this, but she gave me some books. I remember this encyclopedia about sex and your body and maturing and set it on my dresser and said, if you have any questions, let me know, which of course I was mortified. I would never have done that. And so we've built this culture around sex where we know we have it. We know it's there because we have children and let's just not really dig in and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is so true. It's like everyone knows it happens, but you don't, (laughs) you don't really talk about it at all. And it's something that that that's very shied away from, especially, like I said, in in church situations. And and if you're not role modeled the right stuff, whether it's through your parents or other people within the church or other respected adults in your life, then, you know, when you go into marriage, you don't really know what to do, what to say, how to talk about it. And, you know, we're talking about sex, but really it's it's a greater topic of intimacy and where it's kind of designed in marriage. So can you talk to us a little bit about the way that intimacy was designed for marriage? 
Yeah. And I want to say one more thing about the sex thing, if you don't mind, if we... Yeah, go for it. Just a second. I work with a lot of clients and I'm, I'm here to tell you that even though we know it's there and people are having it, there are a lot of marriages that are not having sex. And that's a huge problem. And then you've got also in this secular world, there are a lot of therapists out there. I call them wacky therapists, these woo-woo therapists, where sex is so fluid now in the, it's portrayed in our profession that, you know, anything goes. Polyamory is a big thing now. So for people to want to get help and to reach out, what a scary place right now to go in a world where we don't even know what gender we are, (laughs) in a world where... You know, there are so many so-called experts out there that are giving such bad advice and guidance around the issue of sex. So I I did want to say that. And as far as intimacy, you know, God designed intimacy. We were created for connection and God wanted deep intimacy with us from the very beginning. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was never this God at arm's length until sin came into the world. And so I like to describe intimacy with my clients as into me you see. And so to have great emotional intimacy with your partner, you have to be willing to be seen, but you also have to be willing to see your partner. And that sounds really easy. And a lot of people think they have this great intimacy because they're really good friends, you know, with their spouse, but that's not necessarily good intimacy. And so the willingness to be seen is really difficult for people who are pleasers or avoiders. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to show sides of themselves or opinions that they may have. They don't want to share the deep thoughts that they have in a situation where they feel like there might be, it might be uncomfortable, right? And so they start to hide that information or, you know, really it's lying, but, you know, you don't want to talk about people being liars, but it's just this fear of coming out. There are a lot of people in marriages who are walking on eggshells because their partners are so reactive. And for them, it may not be safe to be truly intimate. And then on the other side of that, the willingness to see your partner, you know, when your partner is able to open up and be vulnerable, what a gift. I mean, that is such a gift. And oftentimes people are threatened by it or angered by it, and their reaction to that will shut their partner down. Mm. And oftentimes the person who comes to me and says, I want a partner who is a full partner who will open up and will share, and they're these angry pursuers, but then when their partner tells them something they don't really like, it's like, well, let's not go there. (laughs) I, I want intimacy in a different way. And so emotional intimacy is a deep pull. It's a deep pool and most of us just wait in. Mm, I love that you kind of talk about that as fully being seen and fully seen because, you know, when we think about intimacy, like that's truly what we're all craving in our marriage, right? Like that's what we want is we want to be able to be fully seen, be fully accepted, but it does take the other piece of that as fully accepting and fully wanting to see the other person. And just the way that you explain that and how beautifully it intertwines into sex and sex topics, I think is really, really important. Now you had mentioned early on, which I'm glad that you did, how we know everyone has sex, but that doesn't mean every marriage is having good sex or right. or having a healthy intimacy in their marriage. Right. And so talk to us about the things that kind of block that for us. Oh, that block the amount of sex or the healthiness of sex. Well, it can be a lot of things. So 
There's so much misinformation about sex. And if you're not getting the right education and you're not getting it role modeled, where are you getting it? Well, you're getting it from, I mean, even as you're at our youngest, you know, we watch TV, we see romantic movies. And so women in particular can sometimes build up this unrealistic idea of marriage from books they read and movies that they see. And men can get unrealistic expectations in the locker room and around other men that they talk to and and also from the movies that they see. And so having these unrealistic expectations and when your partner comes along and it doesn't meet those expectations, the disappointment often shuts people down. And we tend to personalize whatever is not happening the way we want it to happen. And when we personalize it, we get very reactive around it. And so I've seen couples really highly professional, high intelligent people in the world who get so regressed. I mean, it's like they're back in high school when it comes around sex because it's so sensitive. It's, it's so sensitive for them. And they will pout and they'll, they'll not talk about it and they'll pressure or get angry and, and try to manipulate or persuade inappropriately. And so it gets all gunked up around all of this communication styles and attachment histories and all of that. It just, it really is like a minefield. And those are, you know, it can really cause problems. So for people out there that are listening to this and maybe they're, they feel good in their marriage, but like it could be better or they're really identifying with a lot of the things that you're saying. And they're like, yeah, like I feel that shame or I feel those unmet expectations or I feel like this, there's a burden around my marriage in this way. Like, where do you even begin to start on helping it be better when you find yourself in a pattern that's not working for you? You have to figure out how to talk about it. And that sounds so easy to just... I was just going to say, I was like, Kim, that sounds like it's so easy to say, but when it's been taboo your entire life, it's like, how do you even begin that conversation? Yeah. I think it would be very helpful you know, depending on the level of what's going on in the relationship or the level of uh, safety and trust that you feel with your partner, you might need to have professional help to navigate around these types of conversations. For most of us, though, I, I think that we can talk to our spouse about it. We just have to be willing to show up and to approach that topic from a place that doesn't put blame on your partner for what's going wrong but instead approach it from a place of, hey, we're a team, we're a partnership, and this part doesn't feel like it's on point for us. So are you willing to have a conversation about it? And you might be surprised at just how willing your spouse is. I wouldn't try to have the conversation after, you know, a big argument or especially a a rejection or an argument around sex, but just at a time when you're both together, when it's things are calmer, everybody's in a, you know, kind of regulated place. I would start talking about, are you happy? I think the first thing I would say is, are you happy with our sex life? And if they say no, I would ask why. And if they say yes, I would ask why. And then I would ask them, are you interested in knowing if I'm happy with it? Now that's a huge jump. That's a huge leap for some people, but it's so important. It's so important. I think for people in the church, I just feel like I just have to say this. I spoke at a women's conference in Ohio a couple of years ago, and it was a spiritual women's kind of retreat conference kind of thing. And this was a very conservative religious group. 
and they were, it's a women's conference. They had men speaking. I, I don't know. It was just kind of these older men telling these women how they should wife, you know, what they need to be doing, what they don't need to be doing. And I'll be doggone if one of them didn't get on there and just basically say, you know, you married your husband and sex is your duty kind of thing. And wow. Yeah. And I was supposed to get up and speak next. <laughs> I thought, oh, dear Jesus, help me. What do I get up there and say? Lord, guide me. And I got up there. I will never be invited back, I'm sure. But I just got up there and I talked to these women from my heart. And I just said, you know, that information is not helpful. And so many of you are struggling. And while marriage is a contract and sex is a part of it, and it's so important, but to just expect that it's your duty to make sure it happens, whether or not other needs are being met, whether or not there's respect, whether or not there's no abuse going on, that is not God's plan. That is not God's plan for sex and marriage. And when it was over, you could heard a pin drop. My husband was actually sitting in the back of the audience. They didn't even want him in there because, you know, it's for women. But these men were up there speaking. It was kind of strange. And these women came up to me afterwards and they were crying and they were hugging me and they were telling me things like, my husband has blamed me for his porn addiction. My husband has you know, told me because I won't have sex with him every single day. It's okay for him to find it somewhere else. And all of the shame that they carry from that, that those kinds of beliefs and conversations, that's still happening. Even in modern day Christianity, that kind of thinking and logic is still happening. And it breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. It breaks my heart. Sex, you know, you want it to be a celebration. And yes, it's messy, literally and figuratively. There's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot that can go right, but it can be a beautiful thing, not because you have great sex, but because it brings you together in a vulnerable way. And if you can't do that because you're afraid or you're intimidated or you're demanding, then it, that's not the sex that God had in mind for marriage. Hey, I had to interrupt this episode to ask you a question. How are you implementing what you are learning from this podcast? I mean, it's really great that you're investing in yourself to learn how to grow in each area of your life, but I want you to really apply these things so that you can reap the benefits of a more balanced life. If you're not sure how to begin, I want to invite you to join Life Balance Membership. Inside the membership, you'll find courses to help you create habits that allow you to move forward with what you are learning. Plus, we have resources for each area of life to help you take the guesswork out of figuring out how to create balance in that particular area of life. For example, we have a full career guide that guides you through annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, and daily routines to help you reach your career goals. Actually, what to do to start your workday, wrap up your work week, type checklists, and more. And that is just one area of life. Plus, you'll get access to our monthly workshops, which are like little courses, mini courses that apply right to the season of life that we are in. You can try it free for seven days, which is the perfect amount of time to take the seven day clear the chaos course, which is a great place to start. Just go to lifebalancemembership.com to learn more. Oh, and members save money on things like our 12 week program, the Life Balance Method, the Life Balance Planner, and so much more. Join now at lifebalancemembership.com. Such an interesting dynamic when you start to peel it back and you start to hear other people's stories and and even just looking at your own marriage. I know for me, we've been married for over 20 years now. And I look back at the different patterns and dynamics 
when we were early married on to, you know, the middle of our marriage and to now where we are today. And, and it definitely changes. But I, one of the things I love that you teach is really getting to know what those patterns and dynamics are in your own marriage. And just like anything else in this world, right? When you fully understand what's going on and you're able to kind of see better of what's going on, it helps you do something different. And I've shared on this podcast many times before, there was a spot in my marriage when things were like really, really rough. And we went to a marriage retreat and it was the love and respect model mm-hmm. that they were teaching. And and just understanding the cycle of what was happening in our marriage that broke our communication and, and created so much conflict, just being able to understand that dynamic helped us both to be able to do something different. And I love that you kind of help people realize what's going on and and see a pattern or see the dynamics at work in a marriage and to be able to do something different. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I treat a client, I try to hit it from a three-prong approach. The first one is attachment. You know, attachment is, you probably hear about it right now. It's kind of the it word in uh, relationships, but it's your desire for love and the way you go about to get it and to give it is largely determined by how securely attached you were to your caregivers, right? And so we we look at that from that perspective, we look at the developmental of the, you know, relationship and how it kind of morphs and grows over time because all relationships go through hard times. And then from this neurobiological or your brain keeping yourself regulated, not getting too reactive or underreactive. There's some you know, some people that actually freeze and don't have enough energy in it. And so when you look at all of those three things together, that's how you treat the couple. But the first part of that, the attachment, I think is maybe the most significant part of helping couples who are in trouble right now, because it's how you're wired. And we look at different attachment patterns. So like there's the pursuer, the pursuer wants connection and they feel rejection really easily and they get angry frequently if they don't get it. There's the avoider. The avoider is not comfortable sharing emotions. They feel like feelings are messy. Why do we have to go there? You know, they value independence. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. The pleaser, they just want everyone to get along. They don't like to make decisions because it could be the wrong one. <laughs> they are constantly monitoring the mood of their partner or everyone else in the room to make sure that, you know, nothing's going to happen that's going to be uncomfortable. The controller is somebody who is often anxious, highly anxious. They may have some OCD tendencies. They want compliance over connection. They have a lot of rules. And then there's the victim, which is somebody who grew up around a great deal of anger and stress from their caregivers, and they're used to chaos. So something calm makes them feel uneasy, like something bad's going to happen. And so they feel like they're just going through the motions in their life. So you take all these different patterns and by themselves, it's a great indicator of how you're going to approach your life. But then your partner, you bring in whatever pattern they have, their attachment pattern. And then once you put those two together, it creates an entire dynamic all on its own. So for instance, I am a pursuer. I want connection and I I want it now. (laughs) And my husband is a pleaser. And so our dynamic together often looks like him giving in, 
letting me have my way, not really confronting or acknowledging his different points of view or his feelings. And that created a real mess for us, you know, of when I wanted out of my marriage, I think this was what was primarily going wrong in that. I wanted a, I felt like I'd had another child, not a partner. And he felt like he had a parent <laughs> who, somebody who wanted to have the control and not a partner. And so we both had to learn how to deal with that. It was really life-changing for us to get a good understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Mm, yeah. It's so important, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to what you were very first saying at the very beginning of the podcast with intimacy and fully being seen and fully seeing the other person. Absolutely. So when you're going through those different dynamics that we might fall into or, or that our partners might fall into and being able to see where we are in that and maybe easily being able to see where our partners fall in that, but maybe even just taking, do you have these on your website? the different, the pursuer of waiter. Yeah, we have lots, so much information on our website, blogs, ebooks. Because um, I'm just thinking that that would be such a powerful tool to open up the conversation just to say, yeah. you know, I was listening to this podcast and they were kind of going through like these different dynamics in marriage. And this is where I kind of fell into, do you see me in a different category and where do you see yourself? And kind of using that as a gateway to a conversation. Sure, yeah, if you feel safe to do that. If you're in a relationship where those kind of conversations can happen. Yeah. I think sometimes we take for granted when you're in a in a, a marriage where there's conversation that flows freely, that for a lot of people, that's not true. So, mm, so let's talk about that for a second. For those that, that do feel comfortable having that conversation, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But for those that don't feel comfortable having that conversation, how do you give them hope that they could move past that? Well, I think it's first understanding their own pattern. So I can tell you from all of those that I listed, a pursuer is not going to have any trouble telling you how they feel. A controller is not going to have any trouble. They're going to have trouble listening. So the victim, the pleaser, and the voider, those are the ones that are going to struggle the most with getting real. And if you're in one of those categories, you're either shut down because you don't want to cause trouble even if that's unrealistic, even if your partner's like, give it to me, I want to hear it, you know, and you just feel uncomfortable with it. That's working on yourself. That is figuring out why it's so hard for you to show up and starting to learn different exercises and practices that you can do interventions that will help you kind of open up in slow, safer, more in your comfort zone kind of ways until you can, you know, expand that. If you're in a victim position, or any of these, actually, you might be married to somebody who isn't safe to do that with. So the first thing I would want to know is, are you safe in your home? Are you married to somebody who can really lose their cool, who can be verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive? And if you are, then I would not do any of this on my own. I would definitely go to a therapist or a relationship coach, somebody that can have some kind of influence and help with you to navigate that, because it could be dangerous. And so I do think we ought to talk about that. I think that not everybody is in a safe environment. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I think sometimes, you know, when we are trying to empower people and encourage them to take some of this action and to change some of those things first, that it is important to make sure that it is safe and that they have permission that if it's not a good situation for you, that you can reach out and get some help. Right. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean you have to just stay quiet and suffer in a marriage that's not working for you. 
Yeah, there's a great book. Uh, I didn't write it. I wish I had. Uh, Leslie Vernick, I think, is the author. It's called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. What I love about it is she's a believer. She's a Christian. And she talks about there's assessments in there about which, you know, is a marriage abusive or is it not to kind of help you judge? Because sometimes people don't know. Emotional abuse is very ubiquitous because, you you know, you can't it doesn't leave scars that you can say I was, I was hit. Right. And she takes a very healthy viewpoint on what to do about that. Not just divorce is a sin, suck it up and take it. So I highly recommend that book. If you think you're in a marriage where you feel unsafe. That's really great advice. And we will link to that in the show notes for sure. In addition to all of your great books. So the question next I have for you is for those that feel like they are in a safe marriage and they are having this conversation how can they then move that conversation into sex? How can they negotiate a more fulfilling sex life for them and really what they are wanting out of it? Yeah. So when you said negotiating sex, I laughed because we use that term a lot, of course. You know that. You've looked at some of our stuff, but there's nothing that sounds less sexy than let's negotiate. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe let's schedule. (laughs) Yeah. Let's negotiate sex. But, but that's kind of part of the point. And so we expect our partner, you know, you get married, you plan the wedding, you get married and you're like, oh, we're going to have sex. That's part of it. Right. And then you realize, wait a minute, my partner doesn't want to have sex as often as I want to have sex, or they don't like to have sex in the ways that I like to have sex. And then we get so disappointed and upset and hurt and we, we personalize it. But I'm, I tell people the first thing you've got to do to get past this, to work through it, is stop personalizing it. If your partner doesn't like pizza and you do, I mean, do you personalize that? No. Mm, that's you know, a great you're example. Like, Why does my partner like pineapple on their pizza? I think that's a horrible combination, right? And so you, you're able to kind of set yourself apart from that. Well, sex is the same way. We're wired differently. We want different things. And it doesn't mean you're not attractive to your partner or your partner doesn't find you sexy. And so depersonalizing is step number one. And the second thing is watch how you are approaching it. So if you are somebody that is angry because you're not getting sex, the more you coerce, manipulate, or try to use guilt to get your partner to have sex, you're causing more damage. You may get more sex in the moment, but you're gonna, you, you may win that battle, but you're losing the war. And it will cause you problems down the road because those aren't great ways to get what you want. You'll pay for it later. And then it's also this misunderstanding of sex drives. So like men are very responsive. I mean, uh, not responsive, spontaneous. They can actually think about sex during the day so many times. I mean, it would shock a lot of women how often men think about sex. Women are what we call responsive. And so they oftentimes have to be aroused before the desire comes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Men are kind of in this constant state of desire and arousal that women need a little help to get there. And so if a man initiates sex and a woman's like, yeah, I'm kind of not there. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this tonight. If she will just give herself permission for some kind of petting and foreplay without even thinking about, oh, I got to have sex. She'll get there. She'll get aroused. For a lot of women, this is true. And so they'll oftentimes say, I don't want sex when really they're just not giving themselves permission to get aroused to want sex. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's profound. Actually, what you just said is not not giving yourself permission. Yeah. 
And so, cause we're busy, we're tired, we've got a lot on our plate. And so for us to just stop for a few minutes and just have some quiet time with our spouse with where there's some kissing or some, you know, fondling, foreplay, whatever, then the arousal often comes. If men don't know this about women, I get so many men and they're like, she never initiates sex. She never wants me. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, where do you get the idea that women are prowling? (laughs) (laughs) We're on all fours prowling like a lion. You know, like that's the image that the world has given women a masculinized view of sex. And that's just not how most of us do that. It's not how most of us are wired to do it. And so knowing those two aspects about sex can be game changing for a lot of couples. The other thing is when you want more sex or you want your partner to have more sex, we tend to focus on accelerators and accelerators are things that increase desire. So you may be thinking sexy lingerie for him. Like if I want my husband to want more sex, I'm going to have to buy lingerie. I'm going to have to set the mood. I'm going to have to cook a nice meal, light candles, play music. Those are all things that we call accelerators, but we don't really think about breaks. And the breaks are things that put the kibosh (laughs) on our desire for sex. And we all have both. So you may do all of the things to accelerate, but you're not taking care of the brake side of it. You're not going to get what you want. It's like when you drive a car and you've got your foot on the brake and you push down the accelerator, the engine revs, but the car doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So what are examples of some of the brakes that might get in the way? The brakes would be a messy house for a woman, for example, might be a break. It might be for a guy. It could be she has been really critical of him that day. That's a Mm. huge break for a lot of men. It might be uh, the way that you initiate could be a break. I hope it's okay for your audience. We're all adults, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's something that men do that crack me up. So women are washing dishes or they're putting their makeup on or they're getting ready for the day, getting dressed. And a guy, her husband will come by and just grab a boob. Yes. (laughs) Just grab a boob. And whether he means he wants sex or not, he's just playing or whatever. A lot of women imagine this, hate that. They just hate it. They, it's being, you know, groped. And oftentimes the husband does not understand that. And I get them in my office all the time. We have to have this conversation. Now I'm getting to the point where it cracks me up. It's like one guy said, well, it's slow hanging fruit. And that just really just made me guffaw. It was just so funny. But it's just those are the things that we do that annoy each other, that create more stress, that cause us to want to shut down or shut off. That might do it. Another break is just exhaustion. That's a break. Mm-hmm. So it may be that you give yourself or your spouse, you know, a night in the bathtub alone to kind of pull themselves together. So those are the kinds of things that are the definitions of breaks and accelerators. The other thing that I want to talk about, too, is porn. Big problem in our world today. A lot of people struggle with it, men and women. For women, it looks more like love addiction than it is lusty porn addiction. But that there's a great website, two of them, yourbrainonporn.com and Fight the New Drug. And it's great information about how porn rewires the brain. I've had people suggest porn as a way to increase sex drive. I'm like, whoa, that's playing with fire because 
men who are or women who are really addicted to these kinds of outlets oftentimes cannot have good sex with their partner, good intimate sex with their partner. So, you know, the Bible says to forsake all others. And, you know, porn is a sex outside of marriage kind of activity. And so it's dangerous. And so keeping porn out, out of the relationship or out of your each of your lives is a big help for healthy sex with your partner. Now, what did you call that for women? Love? Love addiction. Love addiction. I've never really heard that said before. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on love addiction. Maybe we'll have to have you back and talk <laughs> about that because I'm like, oh, I've never really heard about that before. Yeah. So yeah, it's this desire for to feel special, to feel wanted, to feel women often fulfill this addiction by different relationships with men. I've seen them do it on Facebook. They'll connect with old people or they'll flirt with men, oftentimes telling themselves it's harmless. It's not sex. It's harmless. It oftentimes can cross over and lead to that. But it's this women who have love addiction often get bored in their marriages. They feel like their marriage has lost a spark and they'll start looking for that somewhere else. Some that kind of connection. Interesting. Interesting. So, but I can definitely see how that type of a love addiction or a porn addiction can really affect like your expectations. And it's almost like a fantasy. It's not almost, it is. It is. Living in a fantasy world. And who doesn't want to do that? I mean, you know, we, we all want to escape at times, but if you escape into those things that are, that can be dangerous and unhealthy, it can really cause you problems. But the way sex wires men's brains, I mean, I had one husband who could not have sex with his wife if they were facing each other because it was too intimate. Oh. So it creates this real self-absorbed, selfish desire for release that doesn't include the other person. Mm, Which goes right back to what you had originally talked about with the power of intimacy. That's right. It's so connected, isn't it? It is. Oh my goodness. This has been such an eye-opening, encouraging conversation, Kim. I just love the way that you intertwine everything and between intimacy and sex and the dynamics of marriage and communication and really the design that, that God had for marriage in this kind of intimacy. And so I just thank you so much for bringing all of this information onto this podcast. Now, before I let you go, do you have any parting thoughts, words of wisdom for the women listening? Yes, I do. I want you to know that God designed you for relationship, that sex is important. A lot of women minimize the importance of sex. I did when I was married. I, you know, I felt like, you know, what's the big deal? <laughs> and it's very damaging to your relationship to refuse your husband without really working through this. And there are reasons why you're shutting down and don't be afraid to look at that. I want to tell you that no matter where you are in your marriage today, there is hope. Not every marriage should be saved, but most can and should be. And before you call it quits, I hope that you will take a deep dive because there's so much pain and regret and destruction that comes from divorce. Mm, So good. Now tell our audience a little bit about the books that you have available, the resources you have available. If someone wants to work with you, how do they move forward? What would be the next step for someone that's like, yes, I identify so much with what Kim said and I need, I want some outside help or I want to learn more. 
So to work with us is really easy. You just go to our website, themarriageplace.com, and you fill out a contact form. If you are in the state of Texas, you have the option of working with a licensed therapist. If you are outside of the state of Texas, one of our coaches can work with you over telehealth. And my coaches are highly trained and skilled. Be happy to help you with any of this. We have so many free resources on our website. Our blog is extensive. It's been, it's gotten a lot of awards. Feel free to browse through there, YouTube videos. There are some books you can purchase that are affordable. There's one if your spouse wants out and you do not. If your husband doesn't want to have sex and if your wife doesn't want to have sex, there's both of those as well. And I've written a couple's Bible study that's on Amazon. I think that's probably going to be linked in here as well. Yeah, there's just lots of lots of good information and we want to help. I love that. I love that you have provided so many great resources, whether it's one-on-one help, books, or just the free resources that you have on your website to help people move forward. There really is no excuse. If you're in a marriage where you feel like it's not 100% where you want it to be, there's no excuse not to take action forward. And I know one of your quotes is, if you want a happy marriage, don't be afraid to change first. That's so right. <laughs> balls in your court. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kim. It was so great talking with you. And I'm just so glad that you are walking in the walk that God has you in and, and that you're blessing so many other people with your work. So thank you for everything that you do. Oh, thank you. Pleasure being here. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today. Just because the show is over doesn't mean we have to stop hanging out. Hit subscribe and dive into another episode or jump on over to my YouTube channel for more content to help you thrive as a working mom. Ready to get into action? You can find a number of resources at yourliferocks.com, including the free weekly success planning course. Sign up for free at yourliferocks.com. Talk to you soon.